Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. I'm J.P. Penskover, your podcast host. On episode 24 of the podcast, I have my friend Rick Weiler. Rick is a big game guide here in Arizona. He hunts everything, guides everything from elk, coos deer, mule deer. He's an unbelievable fisherman. But on this episode, we talk elk hunting. We're now July 22nd, 2020, and I'm getting a lot of requests to have some people that can talk about elk and, and we go through a lot of great information. Uh, Rick takes us through so many tips and tactics of killing elk. And, you know, he's been, he's been guiding elk for 17 or 18 years here in Arizona. And what you may not realize is you take a guide in a different state has 17, 18 years of experience. And you bring a person that has 17, 18 years of experience in Arizona and the amount of elk encounters they have in this state is just astronomical. So his experience and getting in close and killing elk is just off the charts. So we have a great conversation. I think if, if you do any kind of elk hunting whatsoever, you're going to love, love, love the podcast. I can't thank Rick enough. I actually used Rick, my very first elk tag that I drew in Arizona. Rick is one of the guides for Dwayne Adams Hunting, and I hired Dwayne Adams Hunting my first year here, and Rick, Rick and his brother Johnny were my guide. Rick was my main guide, and Johnny tagged along a couple days later, and we had an amazing experience, an experience I'll never forget and can't wait to do it again. So if you're looking for some elk, elk hunting tips and tactics, this is your podcast. So I want to thank Rick for all the time that he took on this. So I also want to thank my friend Patrick Wright at Numa Productions. You can find him at numaproductions.net. He has the best podcast equipment, video equipment you can imagine. Any questions you have, you live in the Phoenix area and you need some podcasting equipment, you want to start a podcast, he's your guy to... to Look up, I'll have his information in the show notes and I'll have Rick's information in the show notes and how you can follow them as well. Please give us a review, share it with your friends and family and hope here at the Fit Archer Podcast we're bringing all the information that's helpful and inspiring to you. And again, as I always say, may God bless you, may God bless our country. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. Okay. All right. Got my buddy Rick on the podcast. What's going on, man? Hey, JP. How you doing? Rick. Glad to be on it. Weiler. Weiler. It's Weiler. He, so we were talking the other day and Rick goes, I got to bust your chops, JP. You called me Rick Wheeler. Ricky Wheeler. And I'm like, wow, I'm so sorry, buddy. No, it's funny because everybody kind of, <laughs> when they want to they want to bust my chops, they call me Ricky Wheeler. And then anytime I make a reservation or call anywhere, it's Ricky Wheeler. Ricky but Wheeler. That's all, right, that's all I was trying to do is busting your chops. Yeah. Well, we've been friends long enough. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how we met each other. I'll tell you, the very first time I heard your voice, 2014, it would have been probably, I'd say August. I had just moved to Arizona and I drew an elk tag. You know, I ended up, I told this story when I, when I had Dwayne and Nick on, you know, Nick connects me with Dwayne and Dwayne says, just put in for unit one elk hunt. You'll draw it. No doubt. No draw. It. And I, well, I was, a, I was a, just moved here from Wisconsin. So I was a non-resident moving in. I had three non-resident points and then one resident point. So I drew with four total points. Lucky. Now I'm sitting on eight points and I haven't drawn yet, but I ended up drawing unit one and, and, uh, I hired, uh, Dwayne Adams outfitting and, and he paired me up with you. He goes, I got, I got just the guy for you. He's a killer. <laughs> he, you know, you know how Dwayne talks. He goes, he is a killer. You're going to love him. And, uh, so you called me up and we chatted and, and I want to say this because this is pretty good. We were talking and, and I, you know, I'm trying to be all 
you know, big time. I'm like, well, what are my expectations? You know, and you kind of chat walked me through that. But here's what you said, and, and we'll as we get into questions about elk hunting uh, in down the road of this podcast, it'll be evident of why I'm going to ask you certain questions. But you said, if you'll just trust me, we're going to kill you an elk. And I'm like, well, I'm I, yeah, I just I just want to kill an elk. There was one point in the hunt. I remember when you were telling, and you said this when we talked, you said, if I tell you to run, this is on the phone call, pre-hunting, you got to run. And what I mean is we may do some things that maybe you've never done before. If I tell you to run, you got to run. And I remember probably day two, day three, we were hunting a spot and there was a big herd bull. And I remember you're behind me, you're going, run, run. And I'm like sneaking, like I'm whitetail hunting in Wisconsin with my bow. And then I just remembered you grabbed my straps and you're running with me. Like, I think my feet were off the ground. You're trying to get me into that herd bull. And yeah. so that was our first, that was our first uh, time we ever met over the phone. Yeah. And, it, and it was a great hunt, wasn't it, JP? That was, that, was, that was still probably one of my top five elk hunting hunts. As in how many bulls we were in, how many chances. I mean, legitimately could have killed. It was a, that was just an unbelievable year and unbelievable hunting. It was the best elk hunt I've ever been on in my life. And yeah. I tell everybody that, you know, that we're spoiled living here in Arizona, 13 bulls. If you remember that we were in 50 yeah. yards or closer that we could have shot. And that was, that's 13 bulls. Yeah. And then I ended up shooting that one and I, he's right behind me. He's just up here, right yeah. above me right here in, in, on day 10. And it could have shot yeah. the bull the first hour. Yeah. Well, JP, remember I had to blow on my bugle to scare one bull away because <laughs> yes. I thought you were going to kill him. <laughs> so let me tell that story quick. I remember it was probably 11 o'clock. We were done hunting, maybe whatever. I don't remember what time, 11 o'clock or so during the day. And we're coming down this knob. We're headed back to camp. And you said, it was you and your brother, Johnny. Uh -huh. And you said, hey, stop here. We always get bulls to answer us on that ridge over there. Yeah. And you stopped right there and you blew your bugle. Sure enough, bull bugles. So we go running up in there and, you know, I'm a very beginner elk hunter. At this point in my life, I've shot a bull in Colorado, a bull in Wyoming, and a cow in Colorado. So I'm, I've only elk hunted, you know, half a dozen times. And we go moving in and all of a sudden this bull's bugling and bugling and we go right after him because he's raking a tree. And if people don't know that, when they rake trees, they close their eyes. So when they're raking, you can go. And I remember going, I dropped to my knees and I'm at like 20, I think I was at 28 oh. yards. And I'm like, I go to draw and I can't remember if you yelled or what you did. I just wanted I to practice. My <laughs> just <Yeah>. like, hey. <laughs> and then he, he ended up bolting and then you called him right back into us. And you're like, I didn't want you to shoot that bull. I'm like, I wasn't going to shoot him. Although uh, yeah. <laughs> he was about a 270, I think 280 bull. You, you figured yeah. he was right around there. But when I'm on my knees and that bull was 25 yards away and he's standing up raking a tree, they look ginormous. Yeah. Uh, big animals. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that in a podcast talking about what perception is, what reality is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, camp talk, all that. Yeah. Well, why don't you introduce yourself to the Fit Archer listeners and tell us, you know, who you are, where you live, where you grew up, how you got into hunting, how in the world yeah. you get into guiding for one of the top outfitting businesses, I think, in that's, the, in the that's area. That's actually a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. So, name's Rick Weiler, uh, born and raised in Arizona. I'm actually a third generation Arizona. Um, my grandpa was here before it was even a state, so we got deep roots here been hunting and fishing ever since I could walk. Uh, me and my brother, who also guides with Dwayne, uh, we were raised in the outdoors. You know, we always look forward to going to the White Mountains to fish and not forward to go hunt. And 
uh, it's been a huge part of my life. Now the big game hunting wasn't as big when we were growing up as the fishing and the bird hunting and stuff like that. So that's something we developed over the years. Um, when John and I decided to really get into big game, big game hunting, cause my dad wasn't a big game hunter. He would do a little bit, but not a whole lot. Just like anything else, like we fish, we became a hundred percent obsessed and dove completely in it. Uh, and, and the one thing that kind of led, led me to the guiding road is I wanted to be a better hunter. I was out there, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, trying to figure this whole thing out, you know, like many guys just walking through the woods, walking through the desert, trying to find stuff. And I knew that wasn't working. So we started connecting with people that knew what they were doing and we would just go out with them. And which, you know, by the time I got hired in the fire department, a lot of guys hunted there, got connected with them, went hunting with them as much as I could. Ended up meeting Dwayne Adams through one of his guides that um, he worked for the fire department. He just recently passed from uh, uh, lung cancer, but he was one of Dwayne's guides. I never wanted to be a guide, JP, ever. I just liked going hunting. I just liked hanging out. I just liked, you know, I, I would help cook. I would go glass. It was the best couple years of my life. And then one day I'll never forget it. We were on the mountain with Dwayne and the whole crew, you know, we, we had one more hunter to kill. Dwayne sits down to me, starts asking me, I was actually a late season bull tag. There's three bulls out there. And he was asking, what do you think they're going to do? And I'm like, ah, Dwayne, I think they're going to stay. La la this, do this, do this, do this. And he looks at me and he goes, you're ready, son. I'll get you a hunter next year. <laughs> that was my interview. <laughs> and this was after a few years of hanging out. So fast forward, I think this is going to be my 17th or 18th season. I'd have to look back at my paperwork of, of being a guide for Dwayne. So like I said, I never wanted to be a guide, <laughs> but I, I love it. I do love guiding. Um, two reasons. You get to meet a lot of great people. And the other reason is I get to hunt elk every year. I get to hunt kaibab mule deer every year. And, and that's something you can't do in Arizona. Like you said, you have eight points. What are you going to get a tag? Hopefully at 10, 12, 15, who knows? My brother has 19 points, hasn't gotten a tag. So I get to go every year. I'm hunting every year. And that, that's the one thing I, I, I love guiding for is because I get to do that. And I'm outdoors. Well, yeah, it's made you a straight up, just like Dwayne said, you and your brothers made you guys straight up killers. Um, you know, Nick, Nick as well. And Nick hasn't been guiding near as long as you guys have, but he has become a straight up killer. Like you're just always in the outdoors. I think about it all the time. I spend a lot of time when I don't get to hunt Arizona, I don't draw a tag here. I go to another state and as much experience as you think you would get hunting, hunting other elk, when you have to go to other states, it's not Arizona. I probably, I thought about this multiple times. It's just the selfish, selfishness in me. I would probably gain more knowledge in elk hunting staying back and not hunting a few elk elk a few years but just tagging along with you guys mm -hmm. because the number of elk encounters that you get per season I, it takes me on an over-the-counter tag five seasons to get the number of encounters you get in probably the first five or six days does that make sense so i mean i'm oh, shortening absolutely. shortening the learning curve and, and that's unit one and, and we'll talk about some of the units hopefully in this podcast uh, but Arizona is Disneyland of elk hunting. I mean, it truly is. I can go to some of the slower 
what what we consider not as good units, but I'm still going to have encounters every day. We're still going to be uh, mixing it up. It's just it's just an unbelievable state with these elk. But all you non-residents, don't worry about it. Um, there's no elk here. Yeah. Residents, no. there's no elk here. I mean, you're taking no, my tags. No, we need them to put in and, and come hunt with me. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, I, and I do want people to, I tell absolutely everybody, Ricky, everybody, that when they get a, cha- when they get a tag, they've got to hunt with Dwayne Adams Outfitting. I mean, from what he charges to what he gives to his camps, to his guides, to the camaraderie in the camp. There's nothing like it in any place I've ever been in any guided hunt. I've been on some good guided hunts. I've been on some great outfitted hunts, but nothing like that. And I mean, just from Kaibab to Coos Deer to Elk, the whole all around, man, it is just, it's a world-class experience. And you guys make that, make that good. Yeah. And well, and Dwayne, like I said, with, even with my situation, you just don't become a guide. You have to be an apprentice. You have to be, you know, back then we called them tagalongs. But, and then he slowly, and I didn't realize it until later in my career, and I watched him do with some of the other guys coming up, is he watches you. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an internship. And then when he feels you're ready, you get, you get a client. Well, I must be failing. Not get a client. <laughs> I must be failing because all the hunts I've been on with him, I've never been once been asked to get a client yet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I, uh, hey, you can have my guys. I, uh, if you want the stress and hassle. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, Nick has asked me many t- multiple times, hey, you want to be a guy? Just get your guy's license, come apprenticeship. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm the selfish one. I'm like, no, because I just... Number one, I don't, I don't have the, the free time. It takes a lot to be a guy. That's a question I have for you. It takes a lot to be a guy. The stress the time off, managing family, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of people get into it and think, oh, I can be a full-time guide. I think that's probably very difficult. They will starve. Because the thing is, in Arizona, there's only so many hunts you can guide. So you take myself, who I'm a I'm one of Dwayne's Kaibab guides. Well, if I'm in the Kaibab, I can't hunt a late season elk. I can't hunt coos deer. I can't hunt some of the mule deer units because I'm in the kite. So, you know what I mean? It's there's only so many hunts you can hunt in Arizona. Um, Time-wise I am very blessed. Um, I work for a Valley fire department. So I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule with getting time off, trading shifts, stuff like that. So that, especially like you take an elk hunt, that's 14 days, 16 by the time, you know, if, if you go up early, which we always do, 17, 18, if we stay for the rifle hunt, which sometimes we do, or, or just tearing down camp. So that's 18, 19 days. Uh, my wife, let's just say she goes on very nice trips on October when I come home. <laughs> or she has very nice trips when I'm up at L camp. I was going to say, we, even if you had all the time in the world and all the money in the world, you still got to get past the spouse part. You still got to get correct. past the wife part. And, and my wife is unbelievable when it comes to the hunting season and, and it's a give and take jp you've been married i've been married for over 20 years like i said i take her on a nice trip you know um but it is hard leaving that long and another thing that uh, a lot of guys don't think about when they're like i want to be a guy like you said i want to be a full-time guy those 14 days every time i start my truck i'm burning fuel um wear and tear on tires, everything. It all adds up. I'm a guide that doesn't need the guiding money, which is a great place to be in. I don't need to pay my bills with it. 
you know, and like I said, that's, that's with my other job. I'm very blessed because of it. And, and, and a lot of young, I don't want to call them young guys. Everybody's young to me. So now that I'm well over 40, uh, they don't realize that and they end up starving. And the thing is with your pickup, uh, your side by sides, if you're not maintaining those during your hunting season, they start breaking on you. And there's nothing worse than having your pickup go down. Now you have a, a, a hunter with you who spent a lot of money to go hunting. And now you can't go hunting because your truck's in the shop or your tire's flat. Or so uh, anytime I talk to a young guide or a young person that thinks about guiding, I, I lay it all out for them. Uh, Dwayne has made a very, very good career, uh, a very successful business from it. I wouldn't want to do it. I mean, you just, that's why I love being a guy. I just show up and I go hunting. I don't have to worry about insurance, you know, for a business. I don't have to worry about uh, permits, running a camp, food, all the stuff that goes in. I just show up and hunt and I go home and, and, and enjoy, I enjoy the best parts of it. So yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough business, especially in Arizona, just because the way the seasons lie, line out. Well, just talking about the stress of it, I, my brother and my, my best friend, my oldest friend had just drawn this year. They've never coos deer hunted. And so they drew a late coos deer rifle tag and I'm already stressed out about it because I'm, I'm, I'm taking them like not yeah. guiding them. You know, obviously that, that's, we're just, I'm just, I said, Hey, come on down and we'll hunt. I'll, I'll set my tent up and I'll have everything ready. Pick you guys up from the airport and we'll go out and we'll wax them. And I'm already, I mean, it's July 22nd and it, this isn't till November and I'm already stressed about it. I got a whole bunch of hunts in between there because those guys are coming and they're relying on me feeling like they're going to, like I'm going to have to do the homework and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I can't imagine when somebody was paying you, Yes. On an Arizona tag that are few and far between when you get the stress that comes with that. Correct. It, yeah. It's unbelievable stress. And it it took me a lot of years to the point where I'd start sleeping all night in camp and not only get two, three hours of sleep, stomach aches, all that stuff, because it, it weighs on you. I mean, especially because you really create a bond with your hunter and you, and you really enjoy being with this person and they you, you get their backs. I mean, 14 days, you get a long history of this person and and they want to kill an elk and you know it, it's still archery hunting in the end it is still archery hunting it's not a gun it's not a i mean we have hundreds of elk but it's still you you're still trying to get within 50 60 yards and everything still has to go perfect it's still archery is still that one key that i can't overcome you know it just is what it is and the stress is unbelievable. And then you throw in, you get a bad client, not that you get, but you know, last year when I, when I tagged along a little bit up in the Kaibab, you know, there wasn't, there was an incident with just some, you know, some things that happened. And I, I remember me and long hair, Nick, yeah. uh, you know, we were just kind of glassing off to the side and I'm like, uh, I'm sure glad I'm not a guide right now. Cause old yeah. Nikki, buddy Nick is, is getting reamed one side up, one side up the other. And just, you guys handle it really well with, you guys handle it with grace. So you're, you're true yeah. professionals too. And that's, uh, that happens every archery elk hunt. And the reason being JP, it's a marathon. It's 14 days. I'm sure some of your listeners have done 14 day hunts, but not a lot. A lot of guys, five, six days is kind of that tripping point. 14 days is a long, long hunt. And especially with the, the archery elk where that rut goes in these ups and downs and it's cycling and 
Some days you're running a gun and you can't get out of them. The next day you don't hear a peep and it's that up and down and it mentally kills people. Now I, I've hunted elk for so much. I, it, to me, it's just, this is just the rut, but for a guy that's waited 15 years coming from Pennsylvania, that's watched every, uh, you know, video out every Primos video out there where you just toot your horn and the bulls walk in. Yeah. It's, it's not that way. It's still hunting wild animals on public land. And so what happens is they, they, they boil over and so do the guides, the guides wear down. I get tired. I get frustrated. I just call that. That's the, uh, we come back to to neutral ground after one of those. And that's part of guiding. You have to deal with people. And, and my other job what the fire department is, taught me with that. I work with all walks of life. I come in contact with all walks of, walks of life. I generally work with very alpha male type. So little spits and spats, that's just kind of the business. So, but yeah, I, I do recall that. And honestly, it, it, it was, he, he just got frustrated. Hunter just got frustrated. He was a nice guy afterwards, probably felt ashamed a little bit. And you just, the thing is, if those guys get that way, and they don't come out of that rut or and not elk rut, but come out of that little depression that they're in, it'll ruin their hunt. So as a guide, you got to get them back up, get them feel, especially when people start missing. If we shouldn't be missing, now you become a little social worker as a guide. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. So we hunted 12 days together, Ricky. And now uh-huh. tell me, you just said on every hunt you have the, was I, where was, was I a pain? Was I, did no, I get you, at you? You were actually, you're a guide's dream. Here's the reason. And I, I don't. I, and I don't ask that. I just, I want to, I'm like, hey, I want to get better as a, as, a, as a hunter too. Yeah. So you were in good enough shape where you could go 14 days. And that's the key for these elk hunts. I can only push as hard as my hunter can go. Right. Uh, a lot of people from back east come out and hunt with me. First of all, they've never seen. 8,000 feet elevation in their life. They've never seen a mountain. I had a guy from Alabama about a couple of years ago tell me he's never seen a rock over the sides of softball out where he lives because everything's just flat and dirt, you know? So it's the terrain. And so you got to come out in shape. You got to, and I'm not saying you need to be able to lift a lot of weight, just be able to walk five miles, you know, and then I can do the rest. I can work with that. You, you could obviously do that. The other thing, JP, is you knew your equipment. You knew how to shoot. You knew what to do. You knew how to set up. I didn't have to babysit. And I don't want to, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you, you knew what to do. If I said, get ready, you know, release was on, bow was loaded, you know, air was in and you're ready to go. Guys need to learn how to do that is when they come out, you need to be able to shoot and you need to be able to get yourself ready. You need to shoot in any position possible under trees, around rocks, you know, from the knees, standing up. It's, it's just, it's just the way they're going to come in. And another thing is when the bulls come in, you got to be able to shoot fast. So draw, pull, punch the arrow. A lot of guys, they want to draw, they want to hold, they want to do the whole, you know, sight, everything, squeeze. It's got to go fast. You got to think when these bulls are rutting cows, they're in and out, in and out. You're going to have your shot window and it's going to be very, very small a lot of times. And you need to be able to make that shot. Another thing, JP, is you knew enough about the woods where I could stay back and send you forward. I didn't need to be with you all the time, which is I don't care either way. I actually like being right up front, you know, or right behind you to, to 
you know, because I want to be there when the shot happens. But I don't remember, remember we were out on the point and I made you crawl up to the edge to look on the bull on the bench. See, stuff like that where the bull's bedded, he's right there. If two of us go, that's double the chances of him seeing us. Where if I can just get you to push out and you make the right decision, yes, no, we're going to shoot him, where to shoot him, and I feel comfortable with you, that we have a better shot of killing that, that animal. Where two of us, it's just one more thing for them to see. Well, you, you said something I want to elaborate on there, um, Ricky, and it's being able to shoot fast. <clears throat> so I want to I say a couple of things from a practicing standpoint there. So most people, when they're shooting bow, you know this, if you go to any range, everybody's got their um, kind of what they go through. So they got a shot sequence. I come back, I draw, you know, lock into my anchor point, level my bubble, squeeze, squeeze through. That's excellent to do because it's creating Absolutely. muscle memory. And you got to do that. You got to, you can't start today if you're going to elk hunt. Like the range is now full at Ben Avery. Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was nobody there. Now everybody's getting ready. So they're missing out on, on very, very important muscle memory uh, building activities. So you've got to do that. But you've got to practice just what you said. Still being able to uh, squeeze through your shot and follow through and do all your sequ shot sequence, but you got to be able to do it fast. And there's nothing better than timed practice. Some people will disagree with this. I'm a 100% believer in it for that reason. So maybe I go out and on Mondays and Wednesdays, it's all just skill development. I'm just shooting 15, 20 arrows at a spot, following through, just really working on my skill. I got to throw some practice and training in there with an elevated heart rate. I should drop down, do a couple push-ups, do a couple air squats, get my heart rate up, learn how to breathe through shooting when it, with an elevated heart rate. It mimics um, adrenaline and it mimics running at 8,000 feet or walking fast and an elk coming in. But the other thing you got to do is time shooting. So let me go, let me do a, turn on a, you know, I use a wad, a wad stopper. So it's just on my, an app on my watch and I'll set it for five seconds. That means hit it. I got to draw back, anchor in, boom, shoot within five seconds. Yeah. Now I'm still going through the same shot sequence that I normally would as I'm building that slow develop. But if you don't practice that in the midst of a hurry where you got an elk coming in bugling and, and you, you get one little window to make that shot, you can really screw it up. So practice is practice, but you've got to practice every single scenario you think you're ever going to get into because you're going to get into it. My bull that I shot right behind me with you, when you say you want to be with us, you remember you were on my right, Johnny was on my left. We're sitting, we're on, a sitting on a log and I had to come up over the top of Johnny with my bow because that uh -huh. bull came to our left and went behind us and shoot from a seated position, quarter turn, you know, quartering turn around. I mean, nobody practices that, no. but, but you have to. Exactly, Jay. And then on the flip side, you need to be able to hold your bow for a long period of time. Because if he hangs up and he's not moving and you're surrounded by cows, you got to hold that bow and be ready to punch. I'm glad you said that out. because that's yeah. another time thing you can do. 30 second holds. 30 second hold is a long time when you're holding a bow. It's, it's crazy how long that feels. You can build that stamina up to where you can do one minute holds. It's incredible. But you know it. You, you watch your hunters. They're holding for 15 seconds because I've been there before. All of a sudden, they, you start to see this. Yep. And in their mind, what are they thinking? I got to let down. I got to let down. And you can't let down when there's an elk looking at you or it's, or it's over. Yeah. And then I, I tell the same thing for all your the gun hunters too. You got to practice. Like you said, it's muscle memory. And the gun hunters, I, don't, I tell them, you don't have to go out and shoot your magnums every day. Go out with a 22. 
You know, same thing with the boat. Just shoot 20 yards, shoot 10 yards, whatever you can shoot in your backyard. Just get that muscle repetitive memory. So when the time comes down, your body already knows what to do. And we're making the shot when we need to make the shot. Well, the one thing you did teach me, and I now see it on every video, turkey peeking. No, turkey. It, you, you, you were the worst turkey peeker I've had I, in a while. And I really, and so as you would say that in my mind, I'm thinking I'm not even moving. Now I just, I literally just got some new calls in and I got a, a DVD with it. And I, I don't ever watch elk hunting because I know it's yeah. usually, you know, it's not going to go down that way, but this is Steve Chappelle or Chapel or whatever his name Steve is. Chappell. Steve yeah. Chapel. He's got some good calls and I wanted to try his, his calls. I needed some new ones and I got it. And this comes with a, a, a DVD and I'm watching these hunters and Ricky, I had to laugh because I'm thinking that was me. I mean, it's just right here. You know, they're looking, all of a sudden, the bulls come in, they look back at the guide like this, like, all of a sudden doing this kind of stuff. And they think they're moving slow. And me, I I, I probably look like a break dancer sometimes. Because you come up to me a couple times like, you got to stop turkey peeking. Like, they're seeing that movement. (laughs) Yeah. And I I hope everybody knows what turkey peeking is. You know, you see those turkeys look around over that log, you know, or something. That's that little bit of movement those elk will pick up. You got to remember, elk stands seven, eight feet tall. And they're looking down because everything attacks them from the ground. So they're so used to picking up this little tiny movement and that little turkey peak, they got you. They, and it, it's, it's killed a lot of hunts very, very quickly. I watched a YouTube. Um, I won't say the name of it, but it's a good YouTube. The guys are good hunters. They kill a lot of elk up in the Pacific Northwest. And they drew an Arizona tag. And this guy had a giant bull come in. And it's exactly what he did. He blew it. I mean, the bulls coming in, the video cameras behind him. Of course, you know, they got a video camera caller. They got a little bit more stuff out there. But the, the camera was back a little ways. And the bull was not scared by the camera. Actually, the caller and the camera guy were the same guy. But the hunter was up a little ways. And man, he was his head was moving back and forth like this. And he was trying to look at that bull around the tree. And yeah. I know as a hunter, because that's what I am, I still think I'm moving slow. But I've really learned the elk are looking through for that movement. I mean, if, they're, if there's something calling, they're looking for that, like a, a flicker of an ear or whatever, instead of just my eyes moving, you know, that head tends to want to look around the tree at them a little bit. And man, they pick it up. And this guy picked it up and it was a, it was a 380 plus bull and whew, gone. And, you know, he's talking to the camera and I don't know what he, what he ran away for. And I'm sitting in like, I'm, I'm laying in bed watching it, yelling like, it's because you're turkey peeking. I mean, I'm... I, <laughs> and the same thing, JP, I get all the time with my hunters because usually, like you know, it's I'll be right behind them. And usually I put my hand on their shoulder or grab a backpack so I can kind of control them without speaking. And if the bull's coming to my left or right, guys want to turn their head. I don't need to see the bull. I can hear them or I can see it on my peripheral. You got to learn how to just, usually what I'll do is pick a pine tree, pick a rock and just stare at it and stare at it until you know, that animal gets into that field. That's why I know that's my killing field. But if you move, you're in their house, JP. They know where everything is, especially when you get into their bedding areas and stuff where they live every day. It's like me going in your house and moving your TV out of the way. You're going to be like, that wasn't there. And it puts them on alert. So it's, it's the same mentality of you are in their house. So you have to do everything to prevent them finding you. Yeah, you are right, man. You're exactly right. I bet we could we could end right there, and you've just given million dollar tips right there. I mean, I think. Whoa, the, I got to slow it down then. Well, yeah. Well, when we're gonna we're gonna go here for a while. We we got some time. I want to talk about before we get into tips and tactics on elk hunting, and you know we're right around the corner. I know you're itching to 
get out there and, and get behind some hunters. I'm itching to go and I'm going to Wyoming. Uh, so that's going to be fun. But I want to talk about why guiding, um, why somebody would use a guide. I've always wanted to just do a podcast just on this, but you're a guide and I want to, I want to kind of, I want to kind of share this on here because I think you can, you can back me up a little bit. So I know there's people that are hardcore do-it-yourself hunters, and I, I totally respect that. And then there's, there's people that choose guided, guided hunting only, and I totally respect that. I think as, as the outdoor industry, again, I say this on almost every podcast, if we don't pull together and support everybody, it doesn't matter if you go do-it-yourself, backpack, guided, drop camp, fully outfitted, whatever you decide to do, if we don't support everybody, we're going to lose the fight because we don't need to fight internally. We got enough external forces trying to take hunting out, but guiding is a big one. So I had never gone on a guided hunt until 2002, I think, 2003. I had a very bad experience on a guided hunt. I killed a cow elk, Colorado, bad experience. And then as I, I had had this little business I did and, you know, it's, it, it afforded me a little bit more funds and my first guided hunt, I went to Wyoming and then the very next year I was with, with you guys and I would catch a lot of, I had, I had three great years in a row, Wyoming 2013, Arizona 2014, Nevada 2015, all guide, I did all guided hunts and I had, I had some people that really lashed out. And they were talking about, oh my goodness, anybody could kill that kind of bull if, you, if you're guided. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'd been on, I've been on both sides of it. And so I love when people do it yourself. But if you're a listener and you're, you're, you're applying for a state like Arizona and you draw one of these coveted tags, you got to remember, you know, just like where I'm at right now, I got a Utah deer tag in less than a month and I haven't got, I have no, I don't get to get up and scout it. Now we're, that's a do it ourselves backpack hunt. We're doing the Wyoming do it ourselves this year. Um, but if like my Nevada hunt, my Arizona hunt, I'm not a seasoned elk hunter. So I don't want to throw away all those points and an opportunity to just come and hunt, not have to come back to camp exhausted because I've hunted all day, cook food, deal with this, deal with that, try to get up there and scout to give it the justice it needs. By the time that you're completely done with everything it takes to justify that hunt, you've spent as much, if not more money than you would on a guided hunt where you can have somebody like you that's been doing this for 17, 18 years that can shorten that curve and say, hey, it's still hunting and you got to make the shot and you got to be a good hunter and you got to do everything right because it's archery. But I'm going to up the odds a little bit of getting you in the wheelhouse to get Correct. it done. Yeah, that's perfectly said, JP. And I've guided every, every walk of life where some people need a guide because they just don't know what to do. And they're brand new into the, the thing and they want to get into it. And that's, that's actually a lot of fun, right? Cause you're bringing somebody in, in the outdoors and you're showing them all these things. And then I've had the other side of the spectrum that they just need you because you know, knowledge of the area. And I'm good with that too. Uh, but you said a guy from out of state, like you said, by the time you come figure Arizona out in a 14 day hunt, it's going to take you three, four, five days. Okay. And what are you really going to learn? You're going to learn a little section where these elk are and, and you're just burning time you're burning fuel you're burning emotional uh you know everything is just if you come out in a guided hunt day one i got you we're rolling you know it it it, it moves that learning curve way over and then the other th the huge thing and a lot of people don't realize like you said you could come back hot meals waiting for you camps taken care of it's clean you just get to show up and go hunting 
guys from out of state, it, it like you said, they're going to spend just as much money getting out here, setting everything up as you would almost pay, to pay a guide. And the other thing is like people, I hear it too. Well, you're a guide. No wonder you killed that. I'm still hunting public land and they're wild animals. I'm not taking you on to the uh, Tahone Ranch in California. Yeah, we're, we're still hunting the same areas. It's just I have 18 years, 17 years. And then another thing like sometimes Dwayne will do with our big camps is he'll bring apprentices in uh, or other guides at times, and they will be on the payroll just to go scouting. So when I do hit a, a low area, I can come in, talk to one of those guys, and be, all right, I got bulls bugling over here. I got bulls over here. So I'm right back in the game, you know. So there is some huge business. I understand it's a large cost uh, up front. But when you look at overall, it's really not, not that bad, especially Dwayne. Dwayne runs a 14-day hunt. A lot of outfitters in Arizona do a 7-7 seven and seven where Dwayne does the full 14. Yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. And most guys can't even get away for full 14 days. So, I mean, yeah. they, if they're going to try to come and scout, you know, the scouting time that they do and then try to hunt as many days as they can, you're cutting into it, you know. And, again, and it's not the same in every state, you know, but Arizona, when you get an opportunity at, at some of these tags here, Man, you want just up your eyes. And I'll, I'll tell you this, because you go guided does not guarantee anything. No. It guarantees not one single thing. When I shot my bull in Nevada, I have heard every excuse under the sun. The number one question is, well, public land or private land, of course you're going to. I'm like, no, we were hunting a public mountain that was so stinking big, I didn't even want to look at that thing by the seventh day because it was just a giant. Mm -hmm. um, what people don't realize, I think, about the West, I grew up in the Midwest. And so it's land tracks, you know, all public or all private land. So somebody owns this 40 acres and next to it is 100 acres. Next to it is 300. You're lucky if you got more than 200 acres over there. A lot of these big farms have been split up. And so you get to hunt your little 40 acres. So a ton of my Midwest friends will ask all the time, well, so whose land do you hunt out there? I'm like, ours, yours, national yeah. forest, BLM land, state land. It's all public. I've never hunted private land out west one single time. I've never hunted a chunk of private land anywhere out west since I've been hunting out here since 1993. All public land. And so these animals get pressured. They get pushed. What you guys have, I think, is such a knowledge of the territory that, you know, you guys may call them push zones, whatever you, you know, you all have your own language for it. But when the mass circus starts opening day and all the tags are released, those elk don't just sit in the same spot where they can be seen from the road. And so maybe I've come and I've, and, and again, I'm not trying to get somebody to do a guided hunt. I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides of it. I do a lot of do it yourself hunts. I just have always wanted to share this. I just feel it's necessary for some people to understand why some people do guided and why some people don't. The moment you may have some elk scouted and then all of a sudden every four wheeler in Arizona and every Polaris in Colorado has been released to the, the country roads, those elk go somewhere. They don't just stand along the road. You know, they go somewhere and so maybe all the elk that you've scouted preseason, you get there like, where did all the elk go? Well, they went somewhere else. And guess who knows where they went? <laughs> Ricky. <laughs> exactly. I know where they went. Yeah. Well, yeah. Majority of them went. Another thing, JP, is... Well, you got a coon? Coon hound? My dogs. Oh, my wife just got home. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> so the dogs... What kind of dog you got? Oh, I got four dogs. I got a two uh, Australian Shepherds and two Queensland Sealers. Holy cow. So, so like you bring up scout JP, like if you go scout right now, we can go out and find tons of elk. By the time the hunt comes around, 
those elk aren't going to be there anymore. Because right before, about a week before the hunt, I call it the big shuffle. Bulls start coming in, start breaking herds up. Cows start going to certain areas. So it's going to be totally different. And, and it's frustrating for guys where right now bulls are laying out in the big opens. They're, they're velvet. They're still kind of sensitive. So they'll lay out on the open under the big trees. Easy to find. Cows will be in big herds of 50, 60. Well, come September 14th, 15th when we start hunting, now cows are 8, 9, 10. Bulls are moving things around. So it's, it's a totally different game. And that's where sometimes a guide is well worth his weight in gold. So, okay, let's get in, let's get into some tactics and, and that kind of stuff. Scouting. Let's start there real quick. So, you know, season's September 15th for most places, you know, some places are a little bit early. Some other States are September 1st, those kind of things. What, what, what are you telling a, a, a hunter to look for? If, if, if that big shuffle is going to happen, what am I looking for to get out there? So I usually don't start scouting until the rains come in Arizona. A, it's so hot, <laughs> but when they come, so it's kind of relieved. Plus the elk will move earlier after it rains in the afternoon. Uh, just because it cools down, there's water. So they'll get up and feed a little bit more. So your glassing time is a lot longer. I'm looking for concentrations of cows and water sources right now. A lot of times right now, this time of year, July into August, I just drive roads, get the lay of the land, figure out where your canyons are, figure out where your, all your water sources are. Just, you know, just look for places that this should hold elk. Uh, nice thing about elk, they leave big rubs that you can find year after year, you know, so look at some of the old, older rutting zones. And, and that's what I do. Put some boots on the ground. A lot of guys, um, you know, I'm not going to bash on the Google earth and stuff because I've used it. But with elk hunting, I feel like just getting out there and driving around gives you a lot more perspective of what's going on than just reviewing a map. You know, you got to get out there. You got to see what tanks are still dry. Uh, one big monsoon will blow uh, a berm tank dam out. Now it's empty and it's useless. Well, if you've been looking at Google Map, oh, this looks like a great one. Well, it blows out next week. Now it's a worthless tank. So get out there, look around, find old rubs, and then slowly – as the hunt gets closer and closer, now you're going to start checking tanks, find where your most uh, water activity, usually in Arizona. And, and this is, th these are certain units I would do this in. So take your sixes, fours, fives, which are more water dependent. Your, uh, same with your uh, eight, nine, 10. Tanks tell you everything you need to know about elk because they have to drink out there. It gets dry uh, real quick and they'll, they'll hit water. So it'll tell you, where's your most concentration of elk? Your bulls will start uh, wallowing mid, probably first week, second week in September when their testosterone starts getting big. That'll tell you a lot. Bulls are starting to wallow and kind of get you going on, uh, on what's going out. Now, unit 1, 27, 3A, 3C is kind of a different beast because there's so much water. So like one, I don't know if you remember, every time you hit a bottom, you were you know, knee deep in a bog. So they're not water dependent, but the flip side is they have to come out to meadows to feed. So in the early morning, late afternoon, they have to come out of the tree line to eat. So they're easier to spot at times, but yeah, that's kind of what I would be doing out. I can't stress enough, especially with the 14 day hunt, know your area, know as much of the area as you can, because you're going to be in a hot spot day one, two, three, four, 
and then it's going to dry up or other hunters will come in and bump them. And, and now you're back to ground zero. So no another spot. And, I, and I'm not talking like, you know, it's another hot spot, but just know, hey, this spot looked pretty good. I'm going to go check it out this morning. Okay. That's the key. Okay. So let me throw a wrench in this now. Let's say I'm hunting. Let's say I'm a do it yourself and I'm not in Arizona and like, like I'm Wyoming, right? And 17 hour drive. And I just, I'm not going to be able to get there. So from a Googler standpoint, what are some things that I, that I should look for? Yeah. So you want to make sure they have good bedding areas. Okay. Elk love nice, cool cover. Uh, a lot of times they like to can't uh, bed on Canyon lips um, in the pines. And there's a couple of reasons that I figure out. I am no biologist by what's whatsoever. I just kind of figured this out throughout the years. A, they like a nice, strong, steady winds, you know, a wind-driven canyon wind. The reason being is that's their protection. They smell what's coming up. Uh, and, of course, they like cool pines because especially in September, uh, October, you're starting to get the, the seasonal change, right? So you're getting cold nights, but it's still warm days. So they're going to put the fat on at, to keep themselves warm at night, but the, they can't cool off during the day. So they'll shade up big time. Uh, and like I said, elk need water. They got to have water. It's not like coos deer where they get a lot of their water from food. Uh, you know, elk, they have to drink. Every two, three days, they got to go hit water. So that's what I would really stress on. Your water's closest to your canyons or their bedding areas. Uh, Food-wise, elk can kind of eat everything. They're kind of like cattle. They, they'll, they'll, I mean, I've, I've actually killed elk in 22 down in prickly pears. They're not good looking elk. They're pretty mangy looking, but they're down there and they'll just eat whatever. So, so if I summarize that, <clears throat> find water and then maybe, and then go out from there, find water, find the bedding close to the water, mm-hmm. um, all the canyons and all that protection by water. What if I'm hunting a unit that has a lot of water, then just focus on the, uh, on, on some of those areas of bedding and, and travel yeah. corridor type stuff. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly what I would do. I'd, I would really stress on the bedding areas. Um, Food, elk, I mean, they're just like, food, elk are like an animal. They're going to go to the easiest food source. So your large meadows, uh, big open areas, burns, elk love burns. That's where you get a lot of that nice green uh, shoots and, and lots of green grass for them to eat. So I'd look for burns, bedding areas, stuff like that. Now, elk aren't afraid to travel, though. So an elk will do two, three miles to go from food to, to bed without, without, you know, in minutes. So... Don't think they have to be real close to each other. Just look for that general area. I'm writing this down um, because I want to address it right now. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and, and say this point. You bring, you, you say that elk will go from two, they'll, they'll travel two to three miles without a problem. Probably one of the hardest things I've encountered when elk hunting is getting out late and getting behind a herd. And there is well no, the there's no way in the world you nope. can get, you can get ahead of them. I mean, they just, they can move so fast. So in that situation, what do you do? If you, if you get behind a herd, are you ghosting it? Are you, what, what would you do in that situation? Well, it depends. Do you know where they're going is the key. If I know, I, and I was kind of serious about get back to the truck. If I know where they're going and it's three miles, my Toyota can beat those out there. And, and I know people are like, ah, that's crazy. But if you know they're going to the bedding area, I mean, actually, I mean, in all honesty, if they go, if they're ahead of me, I go find other elk. 
JP, there's no way I can catch him. And by the time I finally do catch him, I'm so far behind him. They're already on alert. They're already in their betting area. It's over, you know, and, and you know, you can try to hook around them, try to figure it out, but they're going to beat you. Especially when that cow decides that she wants to go to bed, the lead cow, it's over. So go find other elk, go hunt other elk. Now, another thing you can do, I'm going to give some secrets away is you can follow them. Okay. And I'm not saying to hunt them that day, figure out where they're going, know where they're going to go the next day and be there the next day. As long as nobody boogers them or screws them up, they'll they'll keep kind of generally repeating that pattern. Well, you, you, I know you're speaking from experience because what we did, and I know yeah. you do it every single year. I remember we started in, in, you know, we started one spot and then we got on some elk and then we left those elk. We went to a different spot, I think the next day or a couple of days later, and we came in from one way and you, you had said to me, Hey, they're different than what they were doing. They're there. We're behind them here tomorrow. We're coming in the other way. And we, yeah. we came in. So we were ahead of them. And next thing you know, I mean, we're smack dab in the middle of just like all these elk funneling through one, one point. So you, you, you're, you're speaking exactly how you hunt. And, and I, yeah. I witnessed it, you know, we, we couldn't keep up with them and there's no way you can keep up with an elk. I mean, their, no. their natural walk is a fast, fast jog. It, it's just amazing. Whether it's uphill, downhill, side hill, it doesn't matter. They can just flat out move. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're not going to beat them. And the best thing to do, especially with elk, and I'm talking you're on a big bull, JP, and this is where a lot of guys will make mistakes when they get on big, big bulls, is they push them too hard. You gotta let, you gotta play to the elk's game, okay? And it may take you three, four days to get that game down, but you gotta play. It's a chess game at that point. Um, a lot of guys, I may break off a little bit here on this, but a lot of guys ask me, how do you kill herd bulls? And the key is, you kill herd bulls when you can kill them. And, and being saying that, it means when they're cowed up and they have 40 cows, you cannot kill them, in my, in my opinion. Guys will argue and they'll say, you can kill them. You can't kill them. And that's the way I go into the game. I can't kill this bull. So I'm going to learn this bull as much as I can to figure out where he's going. Where you kill him is going into bed. So you catch him going in or out. You kill him on water or you kill him when another big bull comes in. Okay, because you need a distractor, right? In this bedding zone, what happens is cows will start breaking out to bed down. He starts getting a little nervous and he'll start moving back and forth to check his cows. That now gives you an opportunity to to get a a shot in. Uh, Water, of course, is water. You know, they need to drink. And then when another big, big bull comes in on them, of course, you have a giant distractor and you can usually try to get them killed then. Well, I told that story about you telling me to run at the very beginning. Yeah. So I want to, I want to bring this up because I think this is a big tip. I didn't know this. So the scenario we had at that point was we had a big herd bull and there was multiple satellite bulls. And what that herd bull was doing is he was pushing his cows and he had 20, 25 cows. And we were probably, I would say 150 yards back from him. I would say the place where we were, and then you would remember, but I don't want to give anything away of your areas. Um, and all of a sudden, one of the, the satellite bulls came in from the right and tried to circle around that herd bull and he chased him way to the right. Now the cows were over to the left and that's when you were behind me and you're like, run, run, run. And of course, I'm trying to tiptoe thinking I'm going to scare the cows and everything. Well, as finally, when you started to push me, that bull was already on his way back. I had waited too long. And what you'd said to me was, 
that was the opportunity. You had an interrupter right there. The opportunity was that bull chased that satellite bull off to the right. We didn't necessarily care about the cows. My fear was I'm going to spook those cows, but the bull was out of sight. You wanted me to absolutely just get in between those cows and that herd bull. So when he came back and sure enough, what did he do? He came back, but I was not in position to, I didn't get into where you wanted me to get into fast enough. Yeah. Even if you scare those cows, that actually plays into your hand because that bull gets even more excited because his cows are now running. He does not realize what scared those cows. He doesn't know if it was us or was another bull trying to steal him. So he's going to come back there even more aggressively. That's why I'm like, move, move, move. You got to run. And in that situation too, I don't know if you remember, those cows were all on alert to our left. That's why we were tiptoeing. That bull took to the right. We were in the dead zone. Like we had nothing to go. Even if he came back, they were going to leave. So that's one of those situations like, let's put all our cards down and let's, let's full court press them, right? They were out in the open. We were kind of in the open. I had my distractor all of a sudden. We forced forward nine times out of 10, he's going to run right past us. Well, he, he did. I just wasn't where you wanted me to be. That, that was a frustrating moment for you. I know it was because it, it was early in our, in our relationship. It was early in our relationship, Ricky. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I remember you like, you're like, run, 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 run. And I'm like, I'm thinking I'm like four, four forty here. You know, I'm moving and I'm tiptoeing. I don't want to break yeah. a branch. And then I remember your big old strong hands. I think you had me by the pack and I don't think my yeah. feet were touched. And you're just like, I'm trying to get you in there. When I tell you to run, you had a smile like, when I tell you to run, just go ahead and run. Get up in there, JP. And I, we, we, we would have smacked that bull too. Because it was. then I realized what you were trying to tell me to do. But it was, here's a tip for a hunter that comes on a guided hunt. Because I've been on many of them. Absolutely 100% trust your guide and do what they say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're in a great outfitting camp, like you ever, you're getting Dwayne Adams with their guides and Ricky and, and all those guys just do what they say because they're, they're killers for a reason and, and they're not going to tell you to do something that's going to hamper your hunt. And I have been guilty of that before. So, And there's yeah. times where we do stuff that doesn't work out. <laughs> and I'll, but I'll be the first one to admit, of, oh, that didn't work out. So yeah. it's, it's still, hunt. like I, I can't stress enough, we're still hunting public land. And that brings into another thing. I get so many hunters that get so upset like when other hunters screw up our hunt. It's going to happen. It's public land, you know. It took me years to get over that as a guide. And now I'm just like, eh, you know, they didn't have a chance anyways. Now on the flip side, I've had a lot of other hunters that have very much helped me by splitting bulls up, splitting cows up, and they don't understand what's going on. And I slide in there and I, I'll never forget. Pinch a bull, a, a slide hunter. in and pinch a bull. That's what we say, slide in and pinch a bull. <laughs> oh yeah. I had a hunter and a guy was set up. He was cow calling and his bull was on his bed cow he was bugling back i could tell by the way he was bugling he was on his bed and the guy just kept cow calling that bull just kept talking back so we just slid right up there took a look nope not big enough slid back out guy never knew we were there so it's just little things like that okay so let's get into this and i'm not gonna calling i want to talk a little bit about calling but here's what i want to tell the listener there's enough calling videos out there that you just find all the calling videos but I think each state is a little bit different. Um, to bugle, here, here's the question that I got. To bugle or not to bugle? To cow call or not to cow call? How much and how often? Uh, loaded, that's a, that's a loaded question. question, isn't it? Yeah. And it, and it depends, JP. It depends on where we are in the rut. And that's where experience really pays off. 
Um, I could tell what the bull's doing by the way he bugles. Okay. And I know I can kind of tell where he's in the rut the way, by the way they're bugling. Um, cows talk you around. Cows do their little chirping. I mean, you can go out right now and hear cows mew. Um, I'll be the first one to admit I'm not a very good cow caller. So I do very, very minimal to do. Uh, I bugle a lot and I bugle to locate and locate only. But there's some little tricks when you bugle. Uh, some guys want to sound like the biggest bull out there. I want to sound like a three, four-year-old bull. A bull big enough just to drive a big bull crazy. So it's a very short, sweet bugle. And I'll get a lot of response to that. And basically, especially during the midday, they're, they're, they're just telling you like, hey, I'm over here. Don't come over here. Well, that's all I need to hear. So then I can take it from there. Um, so let me, let me stop you right there, Ricky, because I think you said something. That bull is saying, hey, I'm over here. Don't come over here. So like you said, you're bugling to locate. So if you bugle and locate and then you move in 200 yards and bugle again, and then you move in and bugle again, you're basically just telling the bull, I'm coming after you. Go ahead and get out of here. Or maybe his cows are just saying, I want him gone anyway. Yeah, or I'm just walking through the forest. You know, I'm just a little bull walking through the forest, and I'm going to aggravate him enough. And this is more, uh, I guess, in the morning it works real well, too. The, the key is, JP, is you want to start when you're bugling, is I start from far away. When I get out of the truck or my side-by-side -side or whatever we're in, take 10 minutes and listen. Don't get on your horn yet. Just listen. Okay, because he may be right there. If you know, and then then slowly work in. Picture this: if I come out to your house and I'm in your front yard and I yell, "Hey, JP, you in there?" You're gonna respond, "Yeah, Rick, I'm in the house." And then as I come closer, "Yeah, keep coming, keep coming." Where if I sneak into your house and get right behind you and scream, "Hey, JP," it's gonna scare you, right? And it's the same thing with elk. Like I said, you're in their home; they know what's going on. So I start from far away, and that's why I say get out of the truck and listen. Listen for 10 minutes, okay? If you don't hear anything, bugle. A lot of guys just get out, bugle. Well, if that bull is right there, he's not going to say a thing, load up his cows, and leave. You'll never know he was there. But if you wait, and all of a sudden he rips off, you know, he may be 100 yards away, 200 yards away. And then slowly, I slowly work into him, just bugling when I need to locate. Um, as you get closer – I don't call a lot um, most of the time. There is a time when the rut gets really hot and heavy and those cows start getting scattered. I'll mew. The bulls will come in to check. A lot of times when you cow call and it's too early in the rut, you're just setting off an alarm. Okay. You like we use calls to locate elk. Well, they call, you know, we call to them. We locate them. Well, they now located us. They know exactly where we are. Okay, because we just made a sound. So early in that rut, I kind of just stay quiet. Maybe a few mews here and there just to keep them chattering and then slowly slide in and, and see what they're doing and try to get your shot in. I think uh, the best elk hunters that I know call very little. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's there's a time and a place for it. But yeah, I, I, I'm, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not that good at it. So my strength is to bugle and to just just let them do what they're going to do and try to work in and get your shot. 
Yeah, and, and again, I'm just speaking from hunting with you. I know, you know, you we'd bugle, you'd bugle, and then we'd locate him, and we would move fast. Yeah. I mean, we would move fast till we get eyes on them. It, it, different than what I really expected, because again, I had a big fear of bumping elk um, mm-hmm. all the time. So I always wanted to move so slow. And, and I mean, you you're you're an aggressive hunter, a very good aggressive hunter. Meaning, when they bugle, you had an idea of how far away they were. So it was move fast to get there and close the distance. Because it was, it was this. I mean, we'd always say, let's get it, go get eyes on the bull, see if it's a bull we want to kill. You'd move in. I remember the one time we, 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 we covered some ground fast. We got on this the, the, the flat and where we'd started. Actually, I killed my bull down below this, but we were up uh-huh. on that flat where all those bulls were. And we got in there, and we went after a bugling bull like day eight or whatever it was, and we got in on them. I mean, we moved fast and hard into that herd, got eyes on them like, not a bull we want to kill. Let's go. Let's get out of here. We didn't waste a whole lot of time. It was, let's go to the next herd. Let's go to the next bugle and, and, and go find out what we want to kill. And that, that's very important, JP, is, is especially, and this is only during the rut. Now, if we were late season hunting in or hunting deer, I'm very slow and methodical. It drive you crazy. But they're telling you where they are. They're, they're yelling, I'm over here. Just go look at them. That's another thing that frustrates guys, too, is in your slow mornings, I'm, I'm rolling spots as fast as I can because if they're not talking, I'm not hunting them, right? And I'm a firm believer and I've had a lot of discussion with uh, clients over the time over this is you got to let the elk rest. If they don't want to talk, they don't want to get hunted, leave them alone. Same thing like midday. You got to let them bed. If, if some guys just, a lot of guys just want to walk through the woods and, and I don't know what they're looking for, but you're going to bump elk. Don't bump elk. Let them rest. Let them reset. You give them two, three days off. You may come back and they may be just going crazy right? Because they got the rest, they got the food, they got the water, that cow went into estrus now, and now you got them. And I'm a firm believer of letting them rest. And going back to that, that place when we were up there on the flats, the reason why we pushed so hard too, it goes back to scouting, JP, I knew where they were going. I knew what was on the end of that point. I knew what the next canyon is. And that's why I say, get out there, you got to be out there now, look around, take the family up, drive in the four by four, you know, do whatever, just get out there. And you never know when those little things of like, I remember this little Canyon. I remember that there's a point that's all haired over. I bet they're going there. That will pay off. And when it does, it's deadly. So next question, you just answered one. I was going to ask, um, I had a question that come through. Should I be hunting during the midday? But like, like you said, you know, you got to let them rest, but what do I do when elk aren't bugling and you're not in a glassable area? What do you do when you just, you're struggling to find elk? So keep moving, JP, keep moving. You know, uh, Arizona units are hundreds of square miles. Keep moving. There was one morning I couldn't find a bugle and elk. I put 73 miles on my truck. Okay. You just got to keep moving. Because if you can't glass them, what are you going to do? Are you just going to walk aimlessly through the woods? Yeah, you may bump into elk, you know, and some guys will say, that's what I'll do. And good for them. But me, I'm going to keep moving until I find bugle and elk. Because, and the great thing about public land in Arizona is you do have hundreds of square miles to go find out. So, and then some days it's just going to be a bad rut. And with that's the great thing about a 14 day hunt. Take the morning off, relax, go get yourself some Circle K coffee, maybe a nice breakfast, you know, recharge the batteries. Cause that afternoon, you know, they won't stay quiet forever, but. Um, I, I'm a firm believer of letting the elk rest, especially if you're in a big, big bull. 
If you're, so, you're in some big quality animals, you've got to let them rest. If those cows leave or you put too much pressure, you will never, ever see them again. There's a reason why he's that big. Bigger a bull like that, seven, eight, nine years old. He's been hunted 30, 35 times. You know, between all the archery hunts, all the gun hunts, he knows what's going on. He knows holes to go into that you'll never find. And the other thing they know is how to shut up. A big bull like that will stop bugling. And he'll just grunt or he'll make a little whistle. And, and that's, that's it. My brother and I were on a big, big bull on, on the side of this canyon. He never bugled. He would just kind of grunt three times every morning. And uh, we almost killed him twice. And then we finally brought the gun hunter in and he missed him. But yeah, it, it was, it was quite, he had only four cows and he would never bugle, never a full bugle, just a kind of a little grunt. So they're smart. They're, they're very, very smart. Well, you gave a tip there. I want listeners to, and I want to talk to people that hunt other states other than Arizona as well. So you, you put 73 miles on your truck. You you were able to do that because you have multiple spots. And I know right. Dwayne has said that when he's always said, you got to have eight to 10 spots. You get you got to know where to go when it's not happening where you're at. So let's say I'm hunting Colorado, same thing, or I'm hunting Wyoming. You know, I've got to have some spots because if, if I can't drive the roads, if I'm doing more of a, you know, a, a, a backpack type hunt, maybe it's not a backpack hunt, but I've hiked in a couple miles and there's just no elk there. I got to be willing to move. And then right. I got to know where I'm going to, to try to find other elk. I got to have other areas scouted. So I'm not just wasting, you know, if I, if I travel out here and let's say I'm not on a, on a Dwayne Adams hunt. So I only got seven days, you know, six, seven days, like a lot of guys do. Most guys, you know, going out West only get to hunt five, six, seven days. When you draw an Arizona tag, make sure you can get, you hire Dwayne Adams and you hunt all 14. You know, because yeah. it's a once a life, it's it, not a once a lifetime, but it's a hunt of a lifetime. But I'm going to Colorado. I get six, seven days off because that's all I can get off for work. I don't want to waste every sand. I've been so guilty of this, wasting three, four days in the same exact area waiting for elk to show up. Correct. And next yeah. thing you know, I'm like, we got two days left to go and I'm bored. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. Like mentally, I'm done. Yep. And you, and you burn time. Like you said, three, four, five days. That's golden. You got to make things happen. You know, now that doesn't mean I don't go back to those areas ever because they were quiet or I didn't find any else. I may actually rotate back through by before the morning hunts over because a lot of my spots, they, they don't get there until a few hours. Like they're traveling from other areas or they may be lazy that morning or a coyote may have went through the middle of them when I was there. So they weren't ripping off. So you gotta, you gotta make the hunt happen. I just am not a believer of just walking through the woods unless you can glass. Now, if you can glass in a high spot, then then you let you do your let your eyes do the walking. But uh, when, as soon as you get down on the ground in the elk areas, they got you beat. The game's over. They're already equipped. If they're not talking, they're already equipped to beat you with their sight, their nose, everything else. And there's 40 cows. That's 80 eyes looking for you. And if a coyote comes through, you've always got to have a plan B and be ready to start whacking coyotes in the middle yeah. of your elk season, right, Rick? Yeah, that was a slow day. See, we filled our slow day. <laughs> we did. We I think it was I think it was the middle of the day. I remember we had a little coyote out in this prairie, so we had a little stock on it. We had we whacked a we got one rid of one predator, and also we screwed around long enough. And you said that you're like, all right, we screwed around long enough. Let's get back to elk hunting. Let's go. Let's get back to elk hunting. <laughs> but we killed one predator out there. But you just answered a question um, when you said that. <laughs> 
I one of the questions I had gotten was, will elk leave an area and then return? How long should I hang around an area and wait? Are we talk well, yeah, absolutely. JP, where we killed your bull isn't good to about the second week of the hunt. Hmm. I, and I know that over experience, just the way they stack up, the way the cows get broken up. I have another couple spots. Uh, it's where we shot at that other real big one. If you remember on your hunt, uh, we go up the little hill called the, the kill zone. Yep. Um, oh, I remember it all. I remember every day. Uh, it was yeah. it literally was a hunt of a lifetime. That that doesn't get good till about the last six days, and I just the way the elk stack, the way as more and more bulls come out of those big canyons to break cows up, they're starting to find new areas. You get new bulls coming in off, especially in unit one, three A, three C, uh, twenty seven, twenty three those bulls start coming off the reservation. Okay. Cause what happens is there's so many large 400 plus inch bulls that are rutting cows in the reservation. These 350, 360, 370s are satellite bulls over there. Well, they're breeding bulls on our side. So they just cross the fence and, and there's more cows on our side. So yeah, it's, it just constantly loads itself and you need to be prepared for that. And, and don't write off it. If you say, if you go in there pre-scouting and there's old rubs, you're seeing water tanks are getting hit, uh, driving out in the middle of the night, coming back to camp and you're seeing elk cross the road, they're there. Just don't write them off. Just keep looping around and eventually it'll pop off. As soon as one of those cows go into heat, it's on. And every, uh, every bull in the area will be, on, be in there with her. And that's what you're holding out for. That, I mean, just like the whitetail back in Wisconsin, November, you, you're hunting your property, your little 40 acres, or I had 100 acres. All I cared about was, I mean, I'm hunting every single day because I know one doe comes into heat and man, the circus and the rodeo is on. Same thing when one cow comes into heat, the, the rodeo is on. Yeah. Now, and, and this is going to kind of shock you. I actually don't like unit one when it gets real slow, when the rut's not on yet. I hate that unit. And I don't hate it, but there are so many cows and so much area that I have to keep checking to work it out. Where if I go to the fours, the fives, the sixes, where they get really, really water dependent, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting in a tank and I'll kill a bull, you know, because they have to come drink. It doesn't matter what the rut's doing. They're going to hit water. And that's when water becomes, it's, it's like a gold mine, as Dwayne would say, in those, in those arid units, those cedar units. Um, I actually feel more confident on a slow rut in those units because they have to, you have the equalizer. They have to hit water. Got another question here, Rick calling setups. How far behind the hunter should you be as a caller? How far forward should you send the hunter? Uh, it depends on my hunter. If my hunter, like JPU, I'd send 50, 60 yards cause I'll let you pick out the spot. Uh, in, in your shooting lanes, if it's a, uh, ex least experienced hunter, I may stay 20, 30 yards. Um, there's a little tip, blow your cow call into your bugle tube and you can make the sound go where you want it to. Right. So you can actually blow it behind you and it sounds like it's actually farther away than, than what it really is. So then I can stay close to my hunter when I set up for that calling situation. The biggest thing is make sure you have shooting lanes. Okay. And if they come in and they're not in your shooting lane, don't move, let them pass. We'll swoop around and we'll do it again. 
So a lot of people, a lot of guys will try to make the shot happen by moving and then it's over where if you let the bull walk through or the cows or whatever, and long as we don't spook them, we just keep hooking them and hooking them until we finally get that right shot. That's a, that's a big point right there. Um, talk about hooking them. Talk about that. So I, I'm going to set up and, and I don't get the shot at the bull. Mm-hmm. Is it over? No, not at all. I've, I've, I've actually had guys where we've shot a quiver of arrows at bulls to the point. I actually, <laughs> to the point where I'm digging broadheads out of the tree to reload the bow for the next hook to shoot at again. It's not over, especially when the rut's hot and heavy. Um, the key is, I mean, obviously if you miss them high and clean, like he did that, they're not going to, they're not going to notice. They're so busy trying to tend their cows. We, it was a situation where we had three bulls in on us and he was actually raking a tree. We shot, we shot high and right hit the tree. He looked up at the arrow and literally just walked back to his cows. I let him go down the hill a little bit. We dug that arrow out. We hooked him again. We shot and missed at him again. So when you say hook him, you just, you're just dipping around and getting back in front of yeah, where they're just break where off of them. Kind of parallel, find your cover, find your shade, work with them. Um, and these are in areas where they're starting to slow down. Like I said, like when they're getting into bedding areas, the cows are going to spread out to feed again. They feed all night in the big meadows and then they start to work back and they'll start, to, you know, they don't go right to bed. They kind of mingle and some will lay down, some will stand up. Well, the bull doesn't like that because he can't keep track of all of them, especially when there's other bulls in there. So he's going to just do big, big circles around them, go through them. And you just set yourself up on that perimeter where he's going to come back and hook around and hopefully get another shot at him. Do you remember when we were hunting, we were up on that flat where it was the morning that a little later, you sent me over that point to look at that one bedded bull. I think it was the same morning, but there was a bull that was bedded. And now I know what you're talking about hooking them. And I was really surprised that we didn't do it, but there was a big bull. He was a, he was a short main beam bull, but he was like baseball bat thick everywhere. And he was an eight by eight. Mm-hmm. And we snuck up on him and I'm like, no, I don't want that bull. And I remember yeah, that's, he, I almost, that's when I almost threw a rock at you. So he gets up and he leaves and you're like, are, are you sure you don't want that bull? I'm like, no, I don't think to be honest with you, I don't think I got as good of a look at him as I should have because you were excited about that bull. And you kept saying, well, we'll go get him." And I remember him walking away and I'm like, in my mind, now that you say this hook the bull, I'm thinking to myself, well, how are we going to get him? I mean, he, this cows and in the left. And you, you, you said it multiple times. Like, are you sure? Because we'll just go get him. Yeah. Like, we'll just, we'll just go get him. And I decided it, not yeah. to, but. And it's not as easy as just walking down there. It may take you an hour to rehook them, two hours going slow, not moving. But yeah, you can, as soon as they get in that zone where they calm down, we got them. And, and the reason I like that eight by eight, I like that, that weird stuff. I mean, the one bull I got behind my back, he wasn't the biggest bull in the unit. I passed him for three days. And then finally I was like, I got to kill him. He got split force, long whales. And I like him. I, I you know, I like, what people like, I don't care about scores. Yeah, no, people are, I mean, again, we're talking Arizona here. So when you said there's so many 400 inch bulls on the reservations, people don't, most people are not going to understand that they're, you know, they're thinking, oh, that's a bunch of BS talk. No, that's Arizona. And that's these Indian reservations. And then these 350, 360 bulls come off. And I mean, again, I was on 13 bulls within 50 yards. That's the ones we moved into 50 yards. That's not including the ones that we just moved in on. Like, no, that's not the bull we want. Let's go. We never one time even seen a raghorn. In my 10 days of hunting, I never saw one raghorn. Mm-hmm. 
It's just, it's remarkable. That's, that's unit one. I mean, truly is one, 27, three, a three C. Those are truly unbelievable hunting areas. Now, but there's no tags. The there's no tags anybody, so don't apply there. Yeah. there there's no tags go, there, though. <laughs> you go to some other areas, you're going to have unbelievable hunting, too. Fun, but you'll get to start getting in those little rags, the fours, the fives, because you got to think what it takes for a bull to get to three. Let's go 370. You got to have the right genetics. You got to have the right winter. You got to have the right water. You got to have the proper food. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to get to a bull that size, and he's got to survive long enough to get that size. The 400 inches, you're talking one in a thousand, one in maybe 10,000 chance of getting to that size. And that's what sometimes upsets me about the elk industry is that we, we, we've, the numbers have kept pushing up to the point where, you know, the animals can only do so much. And a 400 inches is an unbelievable bull, but you got to remember what it takes to get him to that size. And there is, go ahead. I have a good buddy that guides on, uh, a private ranch and he literally we had a bad winter year i think what two years ago jp and his 380 390 bulls and these are this is a private ranch so he knows the bulls they all have names and everything were 340 350s so he lost 40 inches just because of bad rain you know no winter it's unbelievable when you see a 400 inch bull oh yeah i was going to say that it, it's 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 such a crazy difference when you see a bull that's at that now let, let's talk about Arizona again because I've hunted many other states and if you see a 320 inch bull you got to do everything in your power to kill that bull because that may be and you got to understand that we're, we were talking a lot about Arizona here but every tip tactic that Rick has given you can use in every every state anywhere but you've got to understand expectations of states and units it's even different for Arizona some units you're not I mean every unit in Arizona has a potential to grow a giant Correct. Where we're going in Arizona, or I'm sorry, Wyoming in September, I talked to a couple guys that hunted there, and they said, if you see a 280-inch bull, that's probably a bull, you know, 300 is a big bull in that unit. So a 280 bull is a, is a great bull. You know, so you got to understand that and set your expectations right. You got to know the units you're hunting. You got to know the expectations of the bulls, the growth of the bulls, because a 300-inch bull could be one of the biggest bulls walking that unit. And you don't want to mess that up thinking you heard a podcast and, man, 360, 370 bulls walk around Arizona. Well, but there is a difference when you are hunting Arizona and you go from a 325, 330 bull, and then all of a sudden you see that 350, 360 bull. At that 350 mark, it's just something different to your eyes. It's just, they get, it's just a really big animal. I mean, in Arizona, we're, we're spoiled where, you know, people say, well, you may pass a 350 bull. That is just a ginormous animal. Not with me or not. <laughs> not me neither. Yeah. And JP, I want to stress this too. Just in Arizona, uh, there's units where 310, 320s, you shoot that bull. Uh, 4A, 5A, uh, 4B, or I'm sorry, uh, like those rim units right up as you come out of Payson. Now, guys are going to argue there is big bulls. There is absolutely there are some big bulls in there. But a majority of them are that 300 to 320 bull. So have a quality hunt. Shoot what you want. But don't look for this, this magical number and ruin your hunt because all of a sudden now you're out of days. You know, And a 300-inch bull is a big, big bull. It is beautiful bull. They're beautiful bulls. Yeah, you 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 just said something there that I want every elk hunter, beginning elk hunter, to understand. 
So we were hunting in an area, and if you remember, you'll remember this, the beautiful area. It's a long walk through a big open area at first. And then we got down there, and there was a seven by, a seven by six. And he came in. We, he caught us early. We were going down to that one meadow, and he caught us early in those pines. And it was me, you, your brother, and Nick. And we're knelt down, and he comes in 40 yards. And I remember whispering over my shoulder to you. I'm like, he's 350. And you're like, 325. And I kept, I mean, I'm looking, I'm going, I think he's 350. And you kept going, JP's 325. And you said this, you go, but shoot him if you like him. And I let him go. And because I had a number wrapped up in my mind, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a newer elk hunter, had a, had a number wrapped up in my mind. And then when it was all, when it was all said and done, you told me later, you're like, don't ever let a score get no. in the way of, I mean, he was such a unique, neat looking bull. And it was my decision to let him go. Um, and we went back, I think the next day and the next day looking for him and we just couldn't find him again. He had, he'd moved on to a different area. And I'm like, he was such a neat bull seven on one side, six on the other real mm-hmm. milk, chocolate Brown. I mean, just like the, his antlers glowed. I'm like, what was I doing? Like I should have yeah. killed that bull. <laughs> Most people like that. That'd be hard as a guide to be like, oh, it's that close, man. Just shoot yeah. that bull. Oh, it is. Yeah. I want to hit on something, but first, JP, just think about what you said. You let a seven by six go, an eight by eight go. Come on, I know, I know. That's why I tell everybody. I've had, I had the hunt, and I killed a four hundred inch bull, Rick. I know yeah. this is really weird, yeah. you know, and that was an amazing hunt. But I've never had the caliber of hunt that hunt when I ended that in Nevada. I never touched my bull for the first four days. Never even touched it. It was just yeah. all glassing. This bull day one, I'm on, or hunt day one, I'm on bulls right away and nonstop until I shot my bull. Yeah. To go back on what we were talking about, the numbers and stuff, JP, um, don't get numbers. I I get a lot of guys from back east say, I want a 360, 370 type bull. First 280 bull comes in there, drawn back. And I'm like knocking the arrow out out of the rest. Like, that's not even close. And they're like, that's the biggest thing I've ever seen. It's just a number. And, and that kind of leads into talking guys at the gas station on your hunt at, around the camp. How many guys have seen 400 inch bulls? And I'm going to tell you right now, I can probably count how many that I say, these are absolute 400 inch bulls, probably on one hand, true 400 inch bulls, but everybody seemed to see them, you know, um, don't get that number stuck in your head. You never know what people are talking about. Shoot something that you love. Now, if you truly want that caliber of, of animal and I'll, I will tell you this when I had the tag two years ago I had a bull I should have killed and he walked right past me and I was doing the score in my head till all of a sudden I realized well he's out of range now and he's gone I never found him again you know and I'm, I'm just as guilty with it you know um, and the other thing too on this archery hunting is hard to score because they're in and they're out, they're moving cows. You see, you just see glimpses of them. It's close. You can't move. It's not like on the late season where we can put the big eyes up and we can start scratching in the dirt. That's 17. This may be 18, you know, do all the, the rough math where they're just laying under a tree. It, it's, it's a best guess at sometimes, you know, so enjoy the hunt. I've had too many guys stress and now all of a sudden we're day six. And they finally start to relax and they've missed some great hunting because they're worried about this or worried about that. Letting eight by eights go, letting seven by sixes go. <laughs> I just knew I'd be back one day, Rick. I'll be back mm-hmm. one day. That eight yeah. by eight, he's still out there. He, he, he yeah. probably not. Um, uh, two more, two more questions I got for you. So sure. 
I know that when you're hunting, moon is important. The days, you know, being dark nights or light nights, and you got the fall equinox in there. And I know the season's the season, so it doesn't matter. You're going to hunt that season because there's only that many given days. But is it? Can you really tell that big of a difference when when you got a new moon, full moon, fall equinox like this year? The new the the, the we're going to have a dark moon and the fall equinox hit at the same time, September fifteenth through the 23rd or something like that. I mean, that's going to be, it's playing out to be pretty good. It should be. Um, but I honestly, out of all my years, I've had some unbelievable ruts on the moon. When the moon is bright, you can, it's like a flashlight. And then I've had, you know, vice versa. Um, the thing is when the moon is bright, the elk will rut at night. So they will get, um, a little more tired though. We'll go down earlier most of the time, but if the rut's on, the rut's on, they're going to bugle all night. And if you draw a tag in some of those other, I can't stress enough in those arid units on those full moonlit nights, they're going to rut all night long and go crazy. What's the first thing they're going to want to go hit when it slows down, they're going to go to water. So you need to be on the water. So you may have a terrible morning, but be in those huntable areas when it's time to hunt. Now, usually if they, if the moon's bright and they rut all night, they get up earlier in the afternoon because they'll go to bed earlier. Like they'll take their naps earlier. So they'll get up earlier in the afternoon. So you usually have a better afternoon hunt at times. And then the, especially if it's an early mooning rise, uh, cause then they'll rut right into dark. So the, the, the thing I can't stress enough, and I, it took me a long time as a guide to get over this. You can't change it. The moon's the moon. You can't change the wind. You can't change the rain. You can't just go out there and do what you can and, and, and do the best you can. And if the, if that spot's not good, move spots, find more elk. I was, I was going to say, I mean, you, the season dates are set. The moon yeah. is set. I ain't God. You ain't God. Yeah. We can't, we can't change that. So it comes down to that five letter word grind, grind yeah. and grind. And that's, it, it comes around once a year. And this will parlay into my last questions I have for you. Um, you got to grind. So how important is fitness? You know, this is the fit archer podcast. You know, I'm a fitness guru. I'm not a fitness guru. I just, I like fitness. I like, I like really pushing myself hard because I want to give myself, I want to take away every excuse that I possibly can. I don't want to have to look at something and not be able to keep up with you and not be able to want or not want to go over that hill because I'm just too exhausted. And if I got to grind because I only have seven days and I, in my seven days I have, it's a full moon. What am I going to do? I, I, am I going to let this year go by and be like, well, I'm not going to elk hunt this year. No, I got to grind it out and I got to be mentally tough and physically tough Mm -hmm. to do it. So how important do you see in all your years has fitness played a role in, in hunting? On the elk hunt up next to the coos deer hunt. it's probably the most important thing. And, the, and it's a little different than the cruise deer. The cruise deer hunting is just hard, right? Big mountains, big canyons. It's just physically it's hard, but usually they're five to seven days. The elk hunt is so long. It's 14 days. So you have to come into shape. And, if, you know, you have to eat right. You know how it is. We ate some of the, the big meals at camp. The next morning we go out. We had to leave Nikki back one day because he was sick in the truck. You know, you've got to take care of your body. Leading into that, like I said, if the rut's bad and and there's no no rutting activity, it's a slow morning. Go back, go back early, rest. And I know guys are probably screaming and and I'm very upset at that. It's 14 days. 
you need to survive the 14 days. You're, you need to have your body. If you have little injuries, take care of them. Don't hurt. Don't push yourself to your hurt. Now, as a guide, it's very important because I have to watch. I've had a few clients tap out and I, I will lose two, three days just rehabbing them, you know, which is fine because I have I have areas where we can just go sit and listen to elk and we can make quick little things happen, you know, little wallows and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's extremely important on these elk hunts because so you take unit one demanding, not too bad. There's some canyons we cross and stuff like that, but it's not crazy. You get a unit 23 elk tag and it'll kill you. It's gigantic, huge canyons. If you're not in shape, you, you will literally burn out in three days. So you, you, you got to come in ready to go. And the, because those elk will grind you in the ground. Like you said, if they start to take off, they're th- three miles ahead of you. You're never going to catch them. Well, you also, I mean, you're talking 14 days. Let's let, let me jump to a different state and think Idaho or Colorado or Wyoming somewhere we're going for, you're going to hunt for seven days. Not only do you got to be in, the reason I believe I want to be in good enough shape is because the, the, what weighs on me the most is not the physical part of it. Although Idaho last year was a butt kicking it was absolutely hellacious. It's the mental part. And the, the, the worst shape that you're in, the faster you lose the mental game. Because now it's, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, my knees hurt, my back hurts, and it takes me out of the mental game. Because you got to stay in the mental game long enough to grind. It, it, it's a mental grind. Yeah. You know, it's always going to be a physical grind. If you can just come to the realization that every hunt you go on is going to be a physical grind and just enjoy that process of it. And, and, and for me, all my training every day, multiple trainings a day, prepare me for that. Like I'm going into it going, yeah, this is going to suck. This workout's going to suck. But guess what? I was doing what workout, workout yesterday. It was rowing, burpees, and then strict pull-ups. And it was a it was a timed workout. And I'm like, this just sucks because the day before was a massive amount of squats and my legs were fried. And I'm like, you know what was going through my mind as I'm doing those burpees up and over the rower was every burpee that I do up and over this rower is strengthening my legs and my lungs so that when I get to Wyoming in this day five, day six, and, and we're, it, you're starting to drag tail a little bit, I got enough in the tank to go at, finish strong mm-hmm. and finish, finish good. So physically it helps you mentally mentally keeps you in the grind four days, five days, seven days, 14 days, which is like you said, 14 days can seem like an eternity on a hunt. Yeah. Especially if you come in, uh, guys are out of shape and they're getting their butt kicked from day one. The mental drive goes way, 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 way down. Cause it doesn't feel good. Nobody wants to, you know, you've been waiting for years and years on this tag. And then after day one, you're already whooped, you know, and that there, and like I said, there's times where I rehab my clients. I, I've had a, I had a guy a couple of years ago. He's 80 years old, and he, he we went elk hunting. And in the afternoons, he and I would sit on a log over this wallow and have just a great afternoon. But mornings, we would do what we could. So, so put a backpack on and get hiking. Yeah, I, I said, get out there. You yeah. got to get out there. You know, if you can't get on the stair mill, you don't have to go running. You don't have to run hard. Walk on the uh, treadmill on elevation. I recommend just getting out and go hiking. You can't, you know, you can't, there's no machine that'll do that for you. Go up to your unit, start walking around, go out, you know, enjoy, enjoy fresh air. It's good for you. Yeah. My friend, Tom from Wisconsin, he lives in the flatland. And so my hiking um, program is 
every night I hike a mile and a half when I walk my dogs barefoot in my hunting boots because I'm trying to, to toughen the skin in the hot spots. Um, so, and they get sweaty and wet, so they move around, so it really toughens the skin. So it's a mile and a half with a heavy-weighted backpack every single night. And then on Saturdays, I add uh, either two and a half to five pounds, depending on how big a jumps I want to do. And I do it in a five and a half mile loop up and over my mountain right here. So I do that. I, I count backwards from my hunt and I go back to where I can get at least one whole week doing that at 80 pounds. So I'm building from about 40 pounds all the way up gradually. So it's progressive overload. Well, I was telling my friend Tom this from Wisconsin. He goes, I don't have mountains like that. So what I do is when I mow my lawn, I have my backpack on that's weighted because you're stopping, turning, and, yeah. and moving around. It just, you can do all the fitness in the world. And I, and I, I would push somebody to do as much fitness as you can, you know, because that's, I, I love it. I love pushing myself hard, but at the end of the day, nothing will ever prepare you for backpacking with, or, or hiking in the mountains with a backpack on other than hiking in the mountains with a backpack on. So try to get as much of that in as you can and, and set yourself up for, for more success. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't agree more, especially when you, like you said, these elk tags are so hard to come by. They are. And I tell you, I showed up in elk camp and you and your brother walked me into the ground. Well, I'm a little older now, JP. Well, I, but, but what people don't realize, I, like I consider myself in pretty good shape, but you guys are doing this all the time. And your number one, I remember walking out the one thing and your brother is, you know, his steps. I'm like, I'm just going to step in his steps. I'll never forget this. We're walking out this flat area. I'm like, I'm just going to step in his footsteps and just see if I can't keep up with him. <laughs> There's like two of them. And I'm like, I'm lunging to try to get there. And now I'm like, I can't. I just got to take my normal steps. And he just passed, just kind of went out of sight. His steps are so long. Yeah. And that's another thing I want to bring up, JP. If you're with a guide and let's say you can't keep up or let's say you're getting tired, you need to let your guide know. Or Because what good is it if I push you into the, now it's time to kill and you're wore out. You can't shoot. You can't draw. You can't, you know, let your, be honest with your guide and we could adjust the plan. That's the nice thing is I have enough areas and been hunting these things long enough that I can adjust the plan to whatever I need to. Like I said, I had an 80 year old guy. We, we shouldered a bullet, broke my heart. That arrow went in about an inch, fell right out, but we got a shot, you know? So yeah, we can do we can make anything happen. And that's another thing I'm going to lead into. Even if you're a DIY hunter, be prepared. Go on as many different kinds of hunts as you can. If, even if your buddy has a cow elk tag, go hunting. Get out there. See how other people do it. Get out there with the elk. Just go out hunting. And you will pick up so many things. That's, a, that's how we learned is you just keep going out, keep going out. Immerse yourself into it, and you're going to become a better hunter. Don't watch the videos. Go out there. Okay. <laughs> and that's the thing is the videos, because we've had lots of film crews over the years with us. Those are six, seven days, eight days, nine days to make 20 minutes. Okay. And they just chop it all in. Get out there and you, you will hear elk, see elk, see what they do. Um, listen to cows late at night, how they chirp and they mew. You'll hear the bugles. You can tell the different kinds of bugles. That's the, like I say, I, I can hear a bugle and I kind of know what the bull's doing. The only way I learned that is, the way I learned that is I heard it, he kicked my butt, and I figure out how he did it. And then, you know, you just put that in. And then eventually you get you have enough of those in your head where, okay, I know what he's doing. I know what this is going to happen. I know what these cows want to do. 
there's no way you can uh, get that knowledge without being out there. Yeah, experience. You got great experience. Well, man, Rick, this has been fun. I can't thank you enough for taking time out. I know you're busy. I know, uh, you know, you you serve us here in the in the valley here, and uh, appreciate you for all your service that you do. And I know it's a weird it's a weird time. We talked a little bit about it, and um, you know, in the fire department that that, yeah. that you work with, and and you guys are on the front lines of trying to keep everybody healthy and safe. And appreciate you for doing that and all your service too. And Appreciate you jumping on the Fit Archer podcast and just sharing some tips, tactics, and all the things you've done over the years. I can't wait to hunt with you again, uh, yeah, no matter ready. what it is, and, and, and even fish with you. I'm, I'm, I'll give out your Instagram here in a minute. Um, I'll have you give it out so people can follow you, and you're going to see some. You don't post a lot on there, but most of it is just giant largemouth bass. I'm like, Rick, when do I get to go fishing with you, man? Come on. Yeah, we could we could do a whole podcast about fishing. Uh, I love to fish, JP. It, to me, fishing is hunting during the summer it's the same thing yeah fish do certain things they they live in certain areas and you're trying to figure them out it's the chess game just like hunting it fixes when i can't hunt it gets my fix in well you you figured them out because i mean you're pulling some big old slobs out of the water it's it's impressive i will honestly say that's more my my brother's a heck of a lot better fisherman than i am uh, you guys so. got it figured out. Growing up in Arizona, you've made a, you made guys done really well. And you, you're a pleasure because you guys do it right, both you and your brother and, and all Dwayne Adams outfitting. I mean, you guys do it right. Great experience, great camp, great hunting, you know, everything, everything about it. So I can't thank you enough for jumping on, man. Uh, it was my pleasure. Maybe I'll come on a little bit again sometime. Well, we should, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk, we'll talk again after the season and then we'll get into a little bit of tips on coos deer and, uh, some of the late season stuff too. Cause there's people, you know, but I'm getting a lot of requests right now. They just want to know elk, you know, cause everybody's getting fired up. All the elk tags are hitting everybody's office and mailbox. And everybody's like, I gotta get ready. And I need to know more about elk. You can never learn enough. But like you said, at the end of the day, nothing will replace getting out there and just getting the experience of yep. blowing some stalks and blowing some elk out of the way. And every once in a while, the arrow hits home. You get to put yep. one on the wall, right? All right, JP. All right, buddy. God bless you, Rick. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, bud. Bye.